Tonight is our last installment of our Knowing God series. This was kind of an impromptu series that the Lord laid on my heart right about three weeks ago when I found out I needed to fill in for um, Pastor Corey the last Wednesday night of June and um, just ask you to continue to pray for the pastors and ask the Lord to continue to touch them and bring complete and total healing to their bodies. Um, Pastor is feeling better and he wanted me to let you know that Hopefully next Wednesday he'll be starting his series on Moses that he was supposed to start two weeks ago or last Wednesday. So, um, but we'll finish uh, this part three of knowing God. And remember, um, two weeks ago we started by saying that to know God, we need to know the scripture because the scripture reveals to us who God is. It tells us of his glory. It tells us of his character. It tells us of his attributes. And last Wednesday night we talked about the constitutional or absolute attributes of God. And those attributes included uh, things like omniscience, omnipresence, um, omnipotence, wisdom, uh, all kinds of wonderful things that if you took any of those away, it would nullify God and who he was. That's why they're called absolute attributes of God. Tonight, we're going to look at God's moral attributes as we round out this three-week series, and you see there on your outline that the moral attributes of God are those attributes which are relative to man. For example, those which are revealed in God's relationship with man. We see these come to light and manifest when God relates to us, His creation. Um, And I think it's so beautiful how it ties in in the Scripture, especially in Galatians with the fruit of the Spirit, You see that note there under God's moral attributes. It says these attributes are communicable. Um, In school growing up, we learned about communicable diseases. That's why we uh, wash our hands. That's why we uh, use hand sanitizer or wear a mask at times if we're in a place where there are contagions. Um, So basically, these are contagious characteristics of God that man can exhibit in his character. So we can mirror who our heavenly father is by how we act and how we respond in life. And you'll begin to see as we walk through these uh, attributes tonight, oh wow, that's, that's an opportunity for me to shine or that's an opportunity for the spirit of God to empower me to be like the God that I worship, serve and love. Now, our central truth tonight is God did not reveal himself to give us theoretical knowledge about himself and that's been the same about every week. And I, want, I hope that's sinking in. We, it's not just knowing about God. Because we can know about cars and real estate and investing. We can know about baking and uh, watercraft and leathercraft. We can know about all that stuff. But do we really know? It's about knowing God, not knowing about Him. It's about having a relationship with Him. And He is interested in revealing Himself so that it moves beyond theory into practice and to everyday life. He revealed and continues to reveal himself so we are able to know him, love him, relate to him, and live for him. And then let's add this last part tonight on the central truth. In our knowing, loving, relating to, and living for him, we have the opportunity to display his attributes to the world around us. The bottom line is this. We have a heavenly father that created us. We get to know him 
by reading his word. His word reveals his character and his attributes. And not only do we understand his character, but we get to relate to him in such a way. He shows us how to live and how to respond to him. And that living and responding in relationship with the Lord causes these moral attributes to be displayed in our lives. So it's that trickle down effect. It starts with God and it ends with us. And where does it go from us? It goes to touch every life that you and I come in contact with in our family, in our neighborhood, in our workplace, in our school, wherever God sends us on the mission field or next door, we can mirror image the character of God. And that is our privilege. So many Christians, I think, see that as a pressure. It's a pressure and I endure it. No, to display the character of God is a privilege and I enjoy it. So I want to shift that thinking tonight. Don't, don't look at it and go, well, I'll never be able to do that. Because let me just tell you right now, you're exactly right. You and I will never be able to do this without the help and work of the Holy Spirit in us. And I have learned so much studying just briefly over these last three weeks about God's character. And I'm excited to see this come alive in our hearts as we continue living for him, but then showing him to everyone we come in contact with. So it doesn't even end with us. It ends with the next person experience God through my connection with them and my ability to shine Jesus through my heart and my life. So let's look at these. Um, many theologians say there are 12 um, moral attributes of God. Some say there are eight, some say there are 10. I've listed eight and a couple of them are cheating because there's two because they so are intertwined with each other, like justice and righteousness and grace and mercy. You really can't have one without the other. And so um, we've got a list of eight tonight, but don't get caught up in that list. But let's just walk through together these moral attributes of God. Letter A, God is faithful. Aren't you glad that our God is faithful? He is dependable in his nature and his actions. You know, one of the best things, dads, you can be for your children or your wife or your family is dependable. And let me just take it a step further. Predictable. There's nothing wrong, dads, with being predictable in your home. It's good that you come home at the same time every day. It's good that you have habits and patterns that you're living before your children and your wife. They need to be able to count on you. They need to be able to predict what your response is going to be. Is it going to be a response of panic or a response of faith? Is it going to be a response of um, selfishness or selfless servanthood? Dads, we have a huge, awesome responsibility to step up to the plate and show our families and those that we influence the character of God in faithfulness. God is faithful. Now, it's not God is like faithful. No, it's God is faithful. We measure faithfulness based on God's character. We don't define God's character by what we think faithfulness is. 
So many times we get it backwards. It all originates with Him. He is dependable in His nature and actions. And the Hebrew word amen or truly is derived from one of the most outstanding Hebrew descriptions of God's character, reflecting His certainty and His dependability. So when we say, oh, amen, I almost said, oh, me. That's not what I meant. When we say amen, we're saying truly, meaning God is faithful. It is going to happen. He's dependable. I can count on him. Isaiah 25, 1 says, Lord, you are my God. I will exalt you and praise your name for in perfect faithfulness. And it literally means there faithfulness of reliability. You have done wonderful things, things planned long ago. I, I just love the faithfulness of God. Deuteronomy 7, 9 says, Know therefore that the Lord your God is God. He is the faithful God, keeping his covenant of love to a thousand generations of those who love him and keep his commandments. Psalms 89, 2 says, I will declare that your love stands firm forever, that you have established your faithfulness in heaven itself. In Lamentations 3, 22, 23, you, many of you know this passage. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. So we know that God is faithful. He reveals the presence of his faithfulness through the keeping of his promises in our lives. He has promised to save us from our sin. He has promised to reconnect with us through the blood of his son, Jesus. He has promised to give us abundant life. He has promised us a destiny and hope because we are children of his covenant. He has promised us eternal life with him forever that we can never be separated from him. And guess what? He's good on his promises. God reveals the presence of his faithfulness through keeping his promises. So God is faithful. Letter B, God is truthful. The truthfulness of God is in stark contrast to the dishonesty of humans. Um, have you ever seen the little Facebook uh, video of where you put candy on the table and you tell the three or four year old, okay, mommy or daddy's gonna be back in about five minutes. And if you don't eat the candy on the table, I'll, I'll give you a piece or I'll give you two pieces. And I've seen this over and over on Facebook. If you haven't seen it, it's cute as it can be. You need to look it up. But a lot of times the kids, they'll kind of they'll look at the candy and they'll kind of look around. <laughs> I've seen a couple of kids sneak a piece or two. One of them tried to touch it, but they didn't quite touch it. So they just kind of rolled their hand over it. And, um, and then my mommy and daddy comes back and they say, did you take any candy? And they know because they know how many pieces are there. And the kid goes, no. And they did. You know, they got chocolate in their teeth or whatever. Um, that's just our broken nature. We, we are not truthful. <laughs> uh, we find a way to blame someone else or get the monkey off our back, so to speak, so that we can be in the clear. And God wants to change that in us by showing us how truthful he is so that we can follow his example and his lead. The truthfulness of God is in stark contrast to the dishonesty of humans. God is perfectly faithful in his word and in his way. Psalm 33, 4 says, For the word of God, word of the Lord is right and true. I love that. It's not just right, it's true. 
And truth is something that you can guarantee. It's going to happen. It's real. It's not fake. It's not false. It's not puffed up. Psalm 119, 151 says, Yet you are near, Lord, and all your commands are true. God's integrity is a permanent character trait that he exhibits. Psalm 119, 160 says, All your words are true. All your righteous laws are eternal. Now remember, we don't judge God by what we think is true. We judge us by what God says is true. And how do we know what God says is true? It's in his word. God is faithful. God is truthful. Let her see God is good. God, by his very nature, is inclined to act with great generosity toward his creation. You see that all throughout Genesis as he's making the stars and the sky and the sun and the moon and the, the firmament and the water and the animals and the birds and the fish. What does he say at the end of that? He says, it's good. Why is it good? Because he is the creator and he can't do anything but good. So you see what I'm saying? We can't describe God by what we think is good. We have to describe who we are and where we're at by God's goodness. It starts and originates with him. We see that in creation. Good means pleasing or fully suitable. Psalm 100 verse 5 says, For the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generation. And you'll hear these verses tonight that I'm sharing with you. They have all of these moral attributes connected with one another. It's like you can't read about his goodness without his faithfulness being there. And you can't read about his faithfulness without his love being there. His character is being revealed fully in the scripture. The goodness of God's nature is manifested in his willingness to provide for our needs, both materially and spiritually. God's not just interested in getting us to heaven. I think that's the most important thing. But he is interested if you can pay for your groceries or not this week. He's interested if you have enough money to put gas in your car. He is interested in whether or not you have a roof over your head or clothes on your back. He is our provider and he wants to provide for our needs both morally, both materially and spiritually. You know, this is also in stark contrast to the gods of the Bible. Little g. Because they were not good. You had to appease them. You had to uh, murder a child or sacrifice something or give of yourself sexually. or It was just ridiculous and they were never pleased. It was never enough. But God set about a plan and a sacrificial system that said it is enough. And guess what? He finalized it with Jesus because Jesus became the ultimate sacrifice for all. And he ended all of the killing and the murder because he took it all on himself. So there is enough with God because he has a standard that he upholds. The other gods of the Bible, lowercase g, they were never ever pleased. That You could never do enough to appease them or to please them. So that also shows up in scripture. James chapter 1 verse 17 says, Every good and perfect gift is from above coming down from the father of heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. So many things in this life shift very quickly. It changes from one day to the next. Just look at the pandemic we're in. Things are changing every day. 
It's a moving target. God is not a moving target. He's dependable. He's reliable. He is good. And you can count on His goodness in every situation. We say around here, and Pastor has taught us for years, God is good and everything He does is good. The Scripture bears that out. Even if it hurts, even if it's hard and difficult, guess what? It's for our best and for His purposes to be accomplished. We talked about that last week. His character is revealed and that His purposes are accomplished. And we want that to happen in our lives. So we seek the goodness of God and we pursue the goodness of God as He reveals it to us. Letter D, God is patient. Oh, I'm so thankful for this one. Lord, you are, I think the word long suffering is a much better word than patience. Because take the word apart, you suffer a long time. God is suffering a long time being patient with us. He is long suffering. He is patient. God's slowness towards anger allows a window of opportunity for God to show compassion and grace. How many times in our lives, if we are the judge and jury, are we ready to just get it over with? Off with their heads. Or, you know, I wish, where's the police officer? When I'm speeding, they're always there. When these maniacs on the road are speeding, nobody's here. And, and we're, we're just, we're judge and jury for everyone around us at times. But God because he is God, is slow, slow to anger. And why? Because he wants us to experience his goodness and his faithfulness. And we'll talk about his love and mercy and grace later on. He wants to show compassion. So he gives us some room to wait. He waits on us to receive it. Second Peter 3, 9 says, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. That's the bottom line. God is wanting men and women, boys and girls, to say yes to his son Jesus. So he's giving them time. That's why God has not sent his son to return yet, to take us home to heaven, because there are still too many that do not know him. And the Bible tells us about that and explains that to us. Let, uh, point three under letter D, his patience, bottom line is this, it means salvation. So whenever you think of the long suffering or patience of God, you can exchange it with the word salvation. God's slow to anger because he's giving people time to say yes to him. Patience equals salvation. Letter E, God is love. Many of us grew up the first Verse we learned was John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. But can I, can I encourage you tonight that God's love is not described in the Bible as a quantity attribute. It's more a quality. Because as a kid, I think of God so loved the world. God's just got a lot of love he wants to give. No. Yes, let me, let me say yes. He has a lot of love he wants to give. But the importance of that love is that there's purpose behind the love. He sent his son to die. He gave of himself as a servant and laid down his life so that we could have eternal life. 
There's purpose behind the love. It's not just a I'm God and I'm a big God of love and I got a lot of love to give. Yes, that's part of it. But there's purpose behind that love. There's meaning and significance that says every life is valued by me. And I sent my son to die for this man or this woman or this child. It's not that God loves us so much quantity that it motivated him to give, but he loved us in such a sacrificial manner, quality that he gave. That is the reasoning behind God's love. And to me, that just opens up a whole new world of his goodness, of his greatness, of his power, of his wisdom, of his awesomeness. God is love. Psalm 33, 5 says the Lord loves righteousness and justice. Oh, we hadn't even talked about them yet. And they're already jumping in the scripture about love. But the earth is full of his unfailing love. First John 4, 10 says this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. That's what love is. There's purpose behind it. Romans 5, 8. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were sinners, Christ died for us. God didn't wait till we got cleaned up and said, okay, I think he or she will pass. I'll love them now. No, he loved us in our rank, pagan, heathenistic, separated self from him. He said, I love them anyway. And I have a better plan for them. They don't have to live that way. Ephesians 2, 4. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in our transgression. It is by grace you have been saved. Aren't you thankful for his love tonight? Letter F, God is gracious and merciful. Pastor does such a great job teaching on the grace of God and mercy of God. I'm not going to spend a lot of time here and I would encourage you to go back and listen to those sermons that pastor has taught on grace and mercy. But basically the terms grace and mercy represent two aspects of God's character and his activity that are distinct from each other, but they're related. It's like you can't have one without the other. Grace means to receive from God what we did not and cannot earn. Mercy is to be preserved from the punishment that we do deserve. So when God shows me grace, he says, hey, I love you. I will save you. I will give you what you cannot earn in a, in a lifetime of millennia. You'll never earn my love but I'm going to give it to you anyway because I'm a God of love. But then he says, and I'll keep you from death and separation from me, even though your sin condemns you to that. I've made a way to keep you from being punished for your sin and your rebellion and your treason. So it's just powerful. God's grace and his mercy. Letter G, God is holy. Now, this is the attribute of all attributes. This is, this is even bigger, I think, than him being almighty. Because I think the Bible talks about holiness way more than it does God's might or power. And the scary thing is God calls us to be holy. Again, we can take that as a pressure to endure or we can see it as a privilege to enjoy. 
Holiness is God's character and activity. Leviticus 11.44 says, I am the Lord your God. Consecrate yourselves and be holy because I am holy. Do not make yourselves unclean by any creature that moves along the ground. Now, we read that in Leviticus and we think that it's based on what we take in or what's impure, but it's really not just that. It was that as a symbol and a sign in the Old Testament, but it's been lived out through Christ. It's not just what we take in, it's who we are that makes us holy. It's how we respond and what we do. And the only way we can do it correctly is to be full of the Holy Spirit. Number two, we have been called set apart or different because the Lord himself is set apart and different. He's holy or kadosh or kosher. He's set apart from mundane, profane or normal use for sacred use. And our lives should be kosher, set apart, not for mundane or profane things or normal things, but for sacred things. The marks of uncleanness include brokenness, sin, violation of God's will, rebellion, and remaining in a state of being incomplete. That's what separates us from God. And he says, when you're holy, you're also whole. So you're no longer broken. You're no longer prisoner to sin. You're no longer in violation of God's will. You're no longer in rebellion, but you're in unity and you are in a state of completeness when God's holiness settles on our lives. That's why we pursue holiness. We want to be like him, but it sets everything in its proper place. Exodus 15, 11 says, Who among the gods is like you, Lord? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glory, working wonders? We all know this scripture from Isaiah. Woe to me. Isaiah 6, 5 says, I cried, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. It's we, when we see Him, when His the revelation of His holiness comes into view for us as believers, we realize how much we need Him and how unholy we truly are. And yet... He calls us to be holy and invites us with the creatures in Revelation. Verses, chapter 4, verse 8. Each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around and under its wings. Day and night, they never stopped saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. There is an invitation to one day sing the same song with creatures and the elders surrounding the throne of God. And the only way that's possible is through the power and work of the Holy Spirit. Letter H, God is righteous and just. Biblical righteousness is seen as conformity to an ethical or moral standard. The righteousness of God is both his character and how he chooses to act. Biblical justice is God exercising all the processes of government at once. The justice of God includes judgmental penalty, but he subordinates all that activity to establishing loving justice. It looks like this for us in America. We have three branches of government. 
We have the executive branch, the legislative branch, and the judicial branch. And each one sits in checks and balances of the other two. God says, that's great for y'all, but I'm okay as one to be all three. He is legislator, executor, and judge. And that is beautiful to see that the incarnation of Christ includes qualities and activities of the righteousness and justice of God. How is that possible? Jesus says, okay, I am God's son. I'm coming to earth and you deserve death and punishment for sin. But I'm going to make you righteous because I'm going to give you my blood. I'm going to cover you with my life so that you are made righteous. And then justice cannot punish you because God is a God of justice. It says very clearly in scripture, he will by no means clear the guilty. There, there is a reckoning that has to come to sin and rebellion and wickedness. But Jesus Christ, righteousness covers us and makes us clean so that we don't have to experience the wrath of God in his just punishment and justice. So God is righteous and just. There's another coupling that go together. You can't have one without the other. So, hey, that's great, Pastor Justin. We know a little bit more about the character of God. But what does that mean for me in 2020 on July 8th? Well, I'm glad you asked. These are the Christian life lessons. And what I've done is paralleled them to each character attribute of God so that you can go back and see the parallel of how do I respond with what I know about God's character and his um, attributes. Letter A, faithful. Knowing and believing that God is faithful keeps us from worry, complaining, and gives us great confidence. That's how we live because of God's faithfulness. We don't have to worry ourselves to death. We don't need to complain because we know that everything God is allowing and putting together to work for our good because we call him Lord and Savior. And it gives us confidence. What does confidence do? It settles our heart. It lets us sleep a good night's sleep. It gives us peace. And it allows us to rest in his care and his keeping. So God's faithfulness allows us to not worry, complain, and it gives us great confidence. What about God's character of being truthful? Our hope rests directly on the assurance that everything God has revealed to us is true. All that he has done so far to fulfill his word gives us assurance that he will bring to completion what he has begun. Because God has integrity and is integrity and works in a way that is truthful, it means that whatever he said, he will do. Whatever he starts, he will finish. And that allows me as his son or daughter to chill and say, Lord, you've got this. I can trust you because you are true. You are truth. What you say is true and truthful. God's character of goodness we can model ourselves after our generous and compassionate God. I think the world needs to see a goodness in believers like never before. Because if they can grab hold of what it means to touch the goodness of God, I believe it'll change their lives forever. And you and I get to be his ambassadors. We get to be his messengers of goodness 
to this world around us. Patience or long-suffering, whichever word you want to use. The Lord's patience is for our benefit. Patience equals salvation, right? So that we realize that it should lead us to repentance. So when God's waiting, He's giving us time to turn to Him. He's giving us an opportunity to agree with His plan instead of going our own way and following our own plan. I'm so thankful for the patience of God. Letter E, God's love. How do we live it out? If we follow His example regarding love, you and I will bear the spiritual fruit of love and walk in a manner that allows the gifts of the Spirit, the charismata, to achieve the purposes of the grace or charis of God. So God's grace is manifested through the gifts of the Spirit that work in our lives. And that is where love is seen as we express it to the world around us. Letter F, grace and mercy. When God forgives our sin and guilt and withholds punishment, we are experiencing mercy. When we receive the gift of eternal life through Christ, we are experiencing grace. And we can rehearse that in our heart and in our meditation and in our devotion to the Lord, thanking Him for His grace and mercy. And then we can show it to others when it's so desperately needed. Grace and mercy. Letter G, God's holiness. He is holy. What does that mean for me and you? Because God is unlike any other being. All those submitted to Him must also be separated in heart and in intent and in devotion and character to Him who is truly holy. Those are the areas that we should set ourselves apart from this world in our heart, our intent, our devotion and character because we want to be holy as He is holy. And then lastly, righteous and just. I love what Romans 3, 25 and 26 says, God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of His blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate His righteousness because in His forbearance, He had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. It goes back to what I said earlier. God is the just ruler over the universe. He will not clear the guilty. He must punish sin. And because he has to follow through with his character of justice, he allows Jesus, God in the flesh, to become our righteousness and protect us from his justice. I tell you what, we don't deserve it. That's why it's called mercy and grace. We, don't, we can't earn it. It's too good for us. It's too big for us. It's too lofty and awesome for us to understand. Yes, yet he offers it as a gift and says, this is yours if you'll receive me and what I've done. What an amazing opportunity for us. Now, letter I is the fruit of the Spirit. And this is where we begin to see this mirroring in our lives of the character, the moral attributes of God. Galatians 5, and 23. Many of you have this memorized. But the fruit of the Spirit is love. Oh, that's a God character. Joy, peace. Those are byproducts from God's character. Forbearance or patience. There's a God character. Kindness. There's a God character. Goodness, there's a God character. Faithfulness, there's another one. 
gentleness, and self-control. You and I have the opportunity to represent God's character to everyone we come in contact with. And can I just encourage you? Don't just do that on Facebook, although that's important. Don't just do that in a reposting of an email to an email list that you're a part of, although that's important. Do that at the grocery store with your mask on. Do that at a restaurant with a waitress or waiter at your table. Do that at the gas station with the attendant behind the counter. Do that with your neighbor that lives next door or across the street. Let the gifts and fruit of the Spirit be evident in your life. Why? Because you and I are modeling the God that we love and serve and that we owe everything to. God is not like love. He is love. In fact, if you look in the real dictionary and look up love, there's a picture of God. If you look up in the real dictionary of heaven or the Bible and you look up faithfulness, there's a picture of God. If you look up truthfulness, guess what? God's there again. Because we cannot measure God by what we understand those attributes to mean. We must measure our lives and our situation by God's character and who he is. That way we'll get it right because the other way we get our wires crossed and it perverts who God is and God will not share his glory with anyone else, but yet he will allow us to mirror his character to the world around us. So thankful for that. Can I pray for you tonight? And then we'll dismiss. Father, thank you for your character. Thank you that you are dependable. You're predictable. You're loving You're so good and merciful and gracious. You are just and yet you're righteous and holy. We don't deserve you. That's the bottom line. But yet you, before the foundation of the world, have been pursuing relationship with your creation. And so, Father, we just want to let our guard down and say yes. (laughs) I'm not going to hold up a barrier to you anymore. I'm not going to try to make it on my own anymore. I'm going to receive the love that you so freely give and I'm going to walk in the character that you express and I see manifest in my life as I read the scripture and you're revealed to me in that relationship that you desire to have with me. Father, I pray as believers tonight, we would be encouraged to be light, to be salt, to shine that image of Christ everywhere we go. And Lord, for those that are far from God, maybe maybe they're on a quest to find out what it means to believe in something bigger than themselves. And that's you, God. I pray that they would experience your love and your grace and your mercy like so many of us have experienced it, that it would change their lives forever. Father, if there's anyone listening tonight in this room or on the internet, I just ask that if, in their, if they're in their car or sitting at their living room table or in their bedroom, Lord, that they would just say, Lord, I want to be your child. I want to experience your character and then I want to share your character with everyone I come in contact with. I want your love to be in my life. I want your righteousness to be in my life. I want your goodness to be in my life. I want your grace and mercy to be a part of my life. Father, wherever they're at right now, I just pray that they 
would just let their defenses down and say, yes, Jesus, you can be the Savior of my life. You can be the Lord and leader of my life. And Father, I thank you that upon the authority of God's word, if they admit their sin, if they believe in Christ Jesus and who he said he was and who the Bible says he is, that he lived a sinless life after being born of a virgin and then he died a substitutionary death on the cross and he was raised again to new life by the power of God. And not only did he be, not only was he raised from the dead, but he ascended into heaven and he's there praying for each one of us night and day. It never stops. Lord, if they are willing to believe that and confess him as Lord and then demonstrate their newfound relationship by living like Christ lived. Lord, I pray that you would bring them in to the kingdom. I pray that their sins would be forgiven. I pray they'd be made whole and brand new. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to be mirror images of who you are. We'll never be perfect until perfection comes. We'll never get it all right until Jesus comes to take us home. But Lord, you've given us a down payment in the Holy Spirit that gives us the power to pursue the attributes and character of God so that it can be seen in our speech. It can be seen in our lives. It can be intertwined in our thoughts. It can become our very DNA of who we are and how we live. Lord, change us tonight. And Lord, if there are areas we need to work on, would you just touch us, touch our heart by the power of the Holy Spirit and say, hey, Justin, hey, Jill, hey, Susan, hey, Robert, hey, Jenny, it's time for us to work on faithfulness or it's time for us to work on mercy or I want to work with you on understanding my justice. Lord, would you give us a heart willing to work with you and to follow you wherever you'll take us? Because that can only be the best place possible. And it can only mean good for us and everyone we touch. So, Father, we love you. Thank you for being with us tonight. Thank you for your word. And Lord, I pray that if I've misspoke something or misstated something or caused confusion, I pray that, Lord, you just turn it around and make it right. <laughs> You're able to do that, Lord. And I'm trusting in you, not me, for this to make sense and for your word to not return void. It's for you, it's through you, and it's to you. We love you, Jesus. Amen.